I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And welcome to the Adoption Chronicles. This is the podcast where we discuss all things adoption and the stories that get told with people who have adoption as a part of their story. Today, we're lucky enough to be talking with Elise Costanzo. She was on SBS's Insight program not that long ago, and she has an interesting and wonderful story to tell. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you very much, Mick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I guess uh, we take it all the way back to the start with your story. Um, Are you able to give us any uh, parts of the story before you were born or does your story start about that? Yeah, I can actually. So my adoption was organised through the local family doctors. Right. I mean, that seems a very strange thing to happen now, but I was born in 1960. Yep. Yep. my mother had um, had my mum had had two unfortunate incidents. She'd had a miscarriage. She'd had a child that was born that only lived for a couple of days. And she was told back in those days, she was told, "No, no, no, you need to you need to look at adoption." Right. So she wrote away to hundreds of hospitals, Berry Street. I'm from Melbourne. Yep. Um, lots of organisations um, looking for a baby. She desperately wanted a baby. Yep. And the local family doctors happened to know of a family in the area that were having a child and weren't going to keep the child. That was me. Right. And so my adoption was actually organised before I was even born. Okay. So that's quite um, personal, I guess, in regards to how the connections are made. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, from there, I was actually, um, I was born in at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. 
And when I was born, an instrument from the sterilising unit was dropped onto my left leg, resulting in a very bad burn, almost the entire length of my thigh. Wow. So, yeah, so this incident resulted in me having to remain in hospital for about eight or nine weeks. Yeah, right. And mum and dad weren't allowed to take me home. Right. So they were also, you know, contacted by the hospital and they were told, look, this has happened. Um, You may not want her. She's going to have to have operations. There's going to be a financial cost. Um, And, you know, maybe, you know, this isn't for you. And mum and dad were like, no, we're having this baby. So, um, So after about eight or nine weeks, home I went. Right. With with mum and dad. Yep. Yeah. I don't remember ever being told that I was adopted, so I must have been told very, very young. Right. Um, it was never like a hidden thing. Yep. Um, mum got me home and then funnily enough, mum became pregnant. Oh. And I have a sister born 10 months after me. Right. Um, and mum carried that baby just fine and everything was fine. So, cool. yeah, so we grew up you know, with the the two of us, you know, together. Yes. I also have an older brother um, and he's 17 years older than me. So that's the family that I grew up in. Nice. Yeah. From there, I did need to have more operations on my leg and I remember spending uh, quite a few months in at the Royal Children's Hospital when I was about seven or eight. Yep. um, With mum coming in daily, you know, and it was about probably an hour and a half trip each way for mum to come in. Okay. Um, And, you know, I had to have lots of physio and all sorts of, all sorts of things. So, yeah. So that's, that's the story of sort of my adoption in my early years. Okay. Um, I grew up in a very happy family, you know, I was always well loved, I was always well looked after, um, you know, never never any issues whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Did but you when think about it much as a kid? I always, yeah, I did, but I also went to school with a lot of other kids that were adopted, like, uh-huh. you know, back in the 1960s in Melbourne, you know, there was a lot of kids adopted. Right. Um, and there was also, you know near where I lived, there was also some, like, orphanages around and things like that. So, you know, it wasn't so much foster kids. There was kids either sort of in an orphanage or they had been adopted. So I grew up knowing quite a few kids that were adopted like me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I went along, had a very happy sort of childhood. But when I got to about 14 or 15, I became very more self-conscious about my leg and my scars and things like that. And it was a constant sort of reminder that, you know, I was that bit different. Okay. Um, And I started asking questions and I became, unfortunately, I became very, very difficult to mum and dad and I demanded answers. Right. I even I even went into the Royal Women's Hospital and made an appointment to, you know, see somebody there and demanded answers off them too. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> um, but, of course, the law didn't allow me to know anything. Yes. You know? So yeah. I couldn't really do much about it. So and unbeknown to me at this time, my dad was distraught at this. And ah. it turned out, which I found out later on, he actually knew some things and he spoke to my sister-in-law and he told us some things in case in later years I still wanted to know. Uh-huh. Um, and he mightn't have been here to tell me anything. And he, he just felt it would have been too much for me. And he didn't think that I should know. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So I'll fast forward 10 years. Right. 
So a few things happened. I got married. Yep. And shortly after became pregnant with our first daughter. And the laws in Victoria changed. Yes. And I felt this was more important than ever to know about my biological background and, you know, health concerns. I mean, you go to the doctor and it's like, have you got any family history of this? Yeah. And you're sort of like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. So that, I applied. That's a question that we all get, isn't it? And It is. I, I just yeah. go, I'm just adopt, I'm adopted. And the yeah. conversation ends real quick. <laughs> it does. It does. Some people don't know what to say and other no. people are very much sort of go, oh, I'm, tell me more, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of like, for some people it's sort of like, oh, that's a sort of dirty secret. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, yeah. isn't it, how people receive it these days because it's a little bit like a, a middle name. We, yeah. We, we carry it around all the time, but we don't announce it until it comes up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've often said to people, you know, adopted, but that doesn't define me. It's not who I am. Correct. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Because, um, you know, and, and people sometimes say to you, oh, your real mother. And I take yeah. offence to that. Me too. Because I go, my mum is my real mum. Yeah. You know, like the, a biological mother who gave birth to me, she's not my real mother. Yeah. She's, my mum was my mum, you know. Yeah. There's a, I guess there's a, the more... I learn about the different groups that are out there. There's different groups that have different phrases and terms that they deem appropriate and not appropriate. And yeah, I think for me and like yourself, the only one that's not appropriate is your real. When people say, "Oh, your real parents," I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just not appropriate no. to me at all. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I do, when someone says that to me, I become very sort of like, no. Yeah. Um, you know, like being a mother myself, you know, giving birth, okay, it's a hard thing to do, yep. but that's the easy part. It's the raising of these children and the being there, especially for me with my leg injuries and things, being there with me every single day. So that's know? affected you throughout your whole life pretty severely then? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so, you know, I've always, I've got, you know, scars on my leg even now, you know. I'm, I'm not worried about them now. They don't yep. they don't bother me now. But, you know, especially as a teenager, you know, yeah. anything like that, you know, you're sort of like, you know, girls, you know, wearing bathers and things down the beach and you've got these scars on your leg. Yeah. Um, sort of in the shape of a Z because I had to have operations on it to allow the leg to grow. Yep. Um, and people used to, you know, people still, what's that? What happened, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it did, it did have a bit of an impact on me. Um, yeah, and it is sort of relevant to my sort of story because when I did meet my biological mother, it was a question that I asked her was that why she had given me up because I was injured. Ah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'll get to that part, you know, yeah, yeah. in a sec. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so I've sort of lost my train of thought here. <laughs> so, Anyhow, so yeah, I applied, I received my birth certificate. Like, you know, you, I had to wait. Yep. Um, you know, there was a lengthy sort of process that you had to go through and a lot of people applied at the same time. Um, and by then, I'd had my first daughter. Yes. And in I went to the uh, Royal Women's with my husband and my daughter. And I fully expected, I'd been led to sort of believe, because of the injuries to my leg, I'd been led to sort of believe that perhaps my biological mother had died during the birth. Ah. 
And the other thing I thought was maybe, you know, she was a 15, 16-year-old yeah. in those days where, you know, they were sort of forced to give the baby up. Mm. They were my two sort of things that I thought were perhaps. And in I went and I sat down, you know, with the um, social worker and she handed me my birth certificate and I was absolutely, I'm very rarely lost for words and I was lost for words. Wow. Um, they were married. And okay. they already had six other children. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I just didn't know what to do with it. And the social worker said to me, you know, do you want to meet them? And I was, nobody else had registered. So my biological parents hadn't registered because they could register as well to get yeah. information. Yep. And they hadn't. So right. she said, so really, we can't really put you in contact with anybody because nobody else has registered. Um Anyhow, and I immediately said, no, I don't think I do want to meet them. And I said, but I wouldn't mind meeting the biological brothers and sisters because they, like me, had no say in this. Yeah. And she said to me, well, they may not even know you exist. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, okay. Yes, that then, yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, I sent off with this information and that was it. That was the end of any support, anything, you know. It was just right. like, well, there you go. Off you go. Yeah. So... Came home and the address on it was the suburb next to where I had grown up. Right. So my husband and I drove past the house, but we figured, no, look, it was, you know, yep. 27 years ago, the chances of them living there would be very slim. Yeah. I guess just to just to back that up somewhat, um, yeah. when we receive that earth-shattering news of what yep. we thought is completely different, and you received the news that you were the seventh child? Yep, seventh child, yep. How did that go down? How did that make you feel? Oh, look, I was just, as I said, I was absolutely speechless and I was absolutely, like, just felt like total rejection, like completely unwanted, like very, like, why? Why, yeah. if you've already got six children and you're married... Why would you? And that's why I thought then perhaps it was because I was injured. Right. Um, and I thought, well, perhaps, you know, I, you know, that was too much for them to, to take on. Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I was just totally, I was totally shocked, totally yeah. shocked because it just had never in my wildest dreams entered my head that that would be a, even a remote possibility. Because we go through so many different scenarios. Yeah. And that one wouldn't do. have come close to the top. No. I mean, even, you know, back then I knew people that, you know, they thought that their their mum was their mum, but it was actually their sister. Um yeah. you know, so even that that had entered my mind, you know, was I my mum's sisters, you know, and they didn't oh, want to tell me that. Yeah. And you know, yep. these, you know, your imagination just goes, you know, when you're sort of wondering about it. Yeah. Um, but never in my dreams did I ever wonder and think, oh, perhaps they were married and already had six children. Like, it just wasn't. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if anybody ever thought that. <laughs> Me too. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's always, I guess, I think that's part of how we become creative is because we keep thinking of all these different scenarios of what could happen. Yeah. Um, but then I guess let's go back to you've driven past their house. Yes, I've um, driven past the house to yep. where they'd lived and I... 
And it, by then it was sort of an expensive part of Melbourne as well. And, right. and the house looked quite flash. And, and anyhow, we just sort of thought, oh, the chances, you know, were pretty slim. Yeah. So we came home and didn't know what to do. So I went through the phone book. Those days, no mobile phones, nothing mm. like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, let's go through the phone book. And I thought, well, boys wouldn't have changed their names. And I rang a number and this this um, person lived about five or six suburbs away from where I had grown up. Okay. And a lady answered and I asked her if her partner, his name was Michael. This was the oldest boy named on my birth certificate. Right. And he was, um, I think, 14 And when I was born. So anyhow, right. she said, yes, her husband's name was Michael. And I said did he ever live, you know, at this address? And she was like, oh, no, no, didn't live there. And I thought, okay, dead end. So I rang a few more numbers and I got nowhere. And that night I said to my husband, look, I think that number where I spoke to the lady, I said, I just have a feeling that's it. I said, how would she know where he lived when he was 14? Mm. I said, look, they may have moved around a lot, you know, um, and I could see on my birth certificate that they'd been married in Queensland. So... I knew that they had come down here from interstate. Yep. Um, So I rang back and I actually spoke to him and I just Ah. said to him, "Um, look, you know, look, I rang before, I think I spoke to your wife and I said, look, I'm just wondering um, if you ever lived at this address. And he's like, yeah, I did, you know, and I said to him, oh, I said, well, I think I might be related to you. Wow. Didn't say, I didn't say I think I'm your sister or Uh anything like that. Um, I didn't say I was adopted or anything like that. I just said I was born in 1960 and he replied, oh, my God, you are the baby that died. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. So we talked for a while and he said I knew straight away when he started speaking who you were. He explained that they had moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, and I was correct in thinking they no longer lived in that house. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, their mum came home from the hospital after they knew she was pregnant. I mean, especially yeah. him, he was older. Yeah. Um, and he said she came home and we were told the baby died. Wow. And that was the end of it. He said, we, you know, it was never really gone into again. Yeah. Well, he then gave me some other news. Oh, do tell. Um, they had another child after me. Okay. And that child was remained in the family as well. <gasps> wow. So I was then like, oh, yeah. okay, so what was wrong with me that I was the one given away, you know? Yeah. It really, really sort of affected me. I bet it did. Yeah. And even so, if we go back to where your story started, there was already plans in play before yeah. you were born. So, yeah, interesting yeah. part. Yeah. So I just did not know sort of what to think or what Mm. to sort of do. Um, Yeah, so anyhow, unbeknown to me, um, he was actually heading to his sister's that night for a family gathering for someone's birthday. Okay. But I said to him, look, can you just sit with this for a couple of days? I don't know where I want to go with it. Um, And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I said, look, I'll ring you back in a couple of days. I just need to sit on it for a bit. Anyhow, he got over there and he got his mother alone. Yeah. And he wasn't sure what had happened. 
he wasn't sure whether, you know, perhaps she had thought the baby died. Right. Because, um, you know, being a 14, 15-year-old, he, yeah. you know, when uh, this happened, he had no idea, you know. Oh. So he thought, well, maybe mum thought the baby died and, and you didn't, you know. Yeah. Um, so he sort of questioned her and she told him, yep, yeah, no, 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 we gave that baby up. Um, and then she had to tell, of course, the rest of the family who most of them were there. Right. Um, the one born after me, he thought when she started speaking to them, he thought he was going to be told that she wasn't his mother and that his sister was his mother. Oh. He thought, you know, like it's going to be directed at me. I'm the youngest one. And if mum's got something to tell about the family, it's directed at me. Right. Um, yeah, so everybody was very, like, everybody had trauma from it, I you know, imagine. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, so from there, I met this brother first, Michael, okay. I met him first, yep. um, and we got along quite well, um, and there he said that his mother wanted to meet me, um, you know, he was very keen for it to happen, so I agreed to meet her and I met her at, at his house. Right. And him, uh, Michael, my husband, took my daughter for a walk and it was just me and her. That that was it. Okay. And I walked in and I said, hi, I'm Elise. Yep. And I said, what would you like me to call you? And she immediately said, oh, I'm mum. Oh. And I was like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I've got a mum and no, no, you can't be mum. Yeah. So she told me her name was Dorothy and I could call her Dorothy. Sure. So that's what I did. So she told me that the family had moved around a lot. They'd come down from Queensland. You know, they had no money. There was no help. She couldn't afford another child. She told me that she'd also raised an older half-brother that wasn't hers, but he was the father's. Okay. Um, and that... And, you know, also that they'd had another child after me about 18 months later. Um, I asked her about my leg and I said, did that have any bearing on the decision? And she said, no, she never even knew that I was burnt. Right. Um, so she said, no, the decision was made before you were born and I never even knew that that happened. Right. So That would have been a sigh like, of relief, I assume? Well, yes to and a degree. no, because it, it was still a lot of like... A, a lot of like um, questions for me still, like, well, why, why just me? Was it because I was a girl? Mm -hmm. um, you know, was it like what, what happened? Like, I just didn't, I didn't understand, and I just thought, you know, if you're that poor and you haven't got any help, you know, then why do you have another one after that? Yeah, like it just, I accepted that that story but it just didn't really make a lot of sense to me yeah um even though i accepted it and said okay well that's what happened um it just didn't sit well with me so anyhow however we started to develop a bit of a relationship yep and some of the other siblings were very keen to get to know me some i've never met some live interstate and things and i've never met them yep um some have made quite a good effort and some not really any effort. Yep. Um, so there was a biological sister who was born two years prior to me and she was very keen. 
and we met up quite a few times and she started telling me lots of stories about growing up and about her father. Now, my biological father had already passed away by the time I got this information, so I never met him. Okay. Um, anyhow, so she started telling me lots of stories and Dorothy wasn't very happy about this and she rang me up and she said, hmm. I shouldn't listen to these stories and, you know, this type of thing. And she said, I feel like you're getting a bad impression of your father. And I said to her, well, any impression that I'm getting from him is coming from your children because I've never met the man and yeah. I can only go by what they're telling me, you know. Fair enough. Um, and anyhow, she sort of became sort of a bit a bit sort of annoyed about this and, and then she told me that, no, the reason they had moved from Queensland was because the father was a womaniser uh -huh. and it was to get him away from another woman. Right. But then when they came down here and she was pregnant with me, he took up with another woman and he said he was going to move to Tasmania with her. Wow. So she told me that she said to him, if you don't come back right now, I'm not keeping this baby. Ah. And she said, I knew he would come back because he always did come back to me. And she said, but I decided I was going to make like a stand. And she said, and I said to him, you come back right now or, or that's it. I'm not keeping the baby. So she said she made the decision to give me up to spite him. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, wow. wow. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God. I just felt like so insignificant in this i just felt like i was just like a like a, a pawn in their yeah. marriage you know yeah. like i was just like oh my god like i was a baby yeah you know like and i just couldn't i just couldn't get it together it really really affected me more than i ever let anybody know you I know imagine. like i just just felt like total rejected unwanted like and I just decided, no, I can't continue this relationship. Fair enough. Um, so I didn't really, I never saw her again after that. Yep. And I, there was a couple of sort of phone conversations. Um, I did hear from my my oldest biological sister, um, her name's Shirley. Yep. And I did hear from Shirley when... Um, Dorothy was ill. She had uh, some type of a cancer. She was 90. Okay. Um, and she was, you know, like on her way out. And I did ring her then and just, you know, had a bit of another conversation with her and just said, was there anything else that she, you know, wanted to tell me? Um, and she just said no. She told me everything there was. Um, and I just sort of wished her well, you know. Yeah. Um, and then when she did pass away, I did attend the funeral. Um just the service, just out of respect for the woman who gave birth to me. Yep. Um, yeah, and, yeah, but the, the relationship really ended when she told me, um, you know, that she'd given me up to spite him. I just couldn't. I still find it hard to, I mean, myself, I'm a strong woman. If that yeah. had been my husband, I would have kicked him to the curb. Like, yeah. there would have been no way. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, look, each to their each to their own, you know. Um, you know, times were different back then and I guess, you know, I guess that was just how they handled their marriage. I don't know. Yeah, I can only imagine some of the uh, other conversations they had and, and some of the tactics that uh, she would have used to keep that relationship going. 
Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a last straw type um, tactic. Um, yeah. And quite brutal, to be honest. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely helped form you into the strong person that you are, though, I think. Oh, yeah, it definitely has. Although it's taken me, like I found this information out, you know, 35 years ago. Yeah. It's really taken me this long to tell my story to the majority. Like most, as I said, a lot of people that know me have known of it being adopted. Yeah. But that's all they sort of knew, really. Um, Even one of my friends that I've had since I was a teenager who... I'm from Melbourne, so I'm an AFL supporter, who I still to this day go to the football with. He said to me, well, I always knew you were adopted. He said, but I never knew anything else than that. He said, you've never really said. And I said, yeah, no, it just took me a long time to, you know, when I did find things out, to tell the story. So, Yeah. yeah. I somehow felt that it reflected, even though it's stupid, somehow felt that it reflected on me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, You know? Yeah. I think we do take things a bit more personally because we're already the person that we are. Our character traits are developed. However, when the decision that affects us in our life is made, we're a baby that's brand new. Yeah. Without a personality, without any, you know, communication <laughs> ability. And our lives are 100% in other people's hands. And um, I might be justifying some of my own feelings there, but... um, Yeah. No, you're completely correct there. I mean, you know, there's different traumas for different people involved, but there's just little things sometimes as as an adopted person that I find. It can be something very little and innocent, you know, that somebody will just make a remark and you just sort of feel like, okay, I'm the odd one out here. Yeah. I'm the one, you know, and it, and, and they don't even know that, that they've said anything that triggers you. Um, yeah. But in you, yeah. it triggers you when you just go, okay, am I really wanted here? Should I, am I really meant to be part of this? Yeah. Or have I just been sort of included because they sort of feel they have to? Yeah. Um, like an, just a, an yeah. example was um, biological parent and biological child discussing and the biological child feels like a bit of a black sheep and so the joke comes out, oh, I must be adopted. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah you're adopted. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but yeah. it's not a joke. No. And that's it. And that if that sort of is said around you, you know, like when people are joking around, yeah. that sort of triggers you to go, oh, okay. Yeah. You, know? you might not um, say anything, but you yeah. just take it in. You do, you just feel something, you know, and you just sort of back off a little bit and you just yeah. go, mm, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, and I just think, as I said, you know, there's trauma. Look, I had a great family. I really, really did. Yeah. I couldn't have asked for better parents and, you know, my brother and my sister and, like, cousins, uncles, aunts, you know, you name it. And yeah. I would never go back and change it. If I had give me that family every day of the week, you know? Yeah. Um. Some things are meant but, to be, I think. and Yeah, they are, you know. They are. My mum was born to be a mum. She really was. And she had a great relationship. My mum died 10 years ago and she was 90. Yep. She had a great relationship with my children. Um, and as I said, like, 
you know, Melbourne people, you know, we go to the AFL. My mum was still coming to the football with us at age 86. Wow. Um, with me and my children, all my, my friends knew her, you know, yep. she was just wonderful. And you she know? was a Saints fan as well? Yeah, Saints fan, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So, yep. you know, like we, we don't ever win anything, but we just... <laughs> We just still think we're going to one day. Yeah, we got close <laughs> a couple of years ago. Well, a number we of did. years ago now. We did. We've got close a couple of times, but, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I just feel that now, you know, as I said, it's taken me sort of 35 years to sort of put it out there and just in the hope, well, it's beneficial for me to tell my story. I feel that it sort of helped me um, yep. come to terms with a lot of it. And I've had a great life, you know, don't yeah. get me wrong, you know. Like I said earlier, adopted, but doesn't define me. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not who I am. Um, yeah, but there is definitely sort of triggers there that sometimes, you know, trigger you and trauma. Um, and, yeah, I did find it very hard to deal with being given all that information. Yeah. Well, um, I guess you've got yeah. the truth. Um, yeah. Which is a, a good thing because then yeah. you don't need to... Uh, be creative in what may have happened or not. Um, and I guess with that, uh, if you're able to speak with somebody similar in their experiences, have you got yeah. any advice that you'd like to give them? Um, yeah, I, I do. I would just say, you know, look, this is your journey. Um, if you feel it needs to end, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, the other people involved in this, in your adoption, now be that your mum and dad, hopefully you had great ones like I did, yeah. or be that your biological parents or biological siblings, you know, most of those people have had somewhat of a say in this story, except you. Yeah. Um, so this is this is up to you now. Like if you feel that... You want to go down that path and find out if you feel you want to end it, if you feel you want to say to people, back off, that's fine because this is this is your story now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great yeah. advice. Yeah, so that would be sort of my advice. Um, you know, another thing that I just sort of want to add is yep. I did, when I got all my papers out again and, you know, to go on the SBS Insight show. Yep. Um, I spoke to my sister-in-law again, and when I looked at all my papers, my adoption wasn't actually finalised for 18 months. Really? Um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't sort of take that in the first time. Um, and my sister-in-law, my dad had told her that they were at the courts and they were waiting to finalise the papers and there was, there was delays and there was hold-ups. And he... They, he actually did see my my dad knew more than what he'd ever said. He actually yeah. did see my biological parents, right? And he knew the story. He knew that there was all these siblings because obviously uh, it was organised by a local doctor. Yes. So, you know, dad was sort of given a bit more of a background. Yeah. And apparently, you know, at the court hearing, why everything was delayed is because my biological father was asking if he could have some compensation for signing the papers. So not. Trying to keep you, but wanting some mm. dollars. Yeah, wow. wanting some compensation. And it's actually all typed into the court papers that there was no compensation given or offered or anything. It's all actually in there because wow. I've got all the court papers. So that that was a new discovery because I hadn't taken that in on my when I first got all these papers. 
Yeah. Um, that was a new discovery sort of for me. Um, yeah, which again was like, jeez, oh, wow. So you know? I guess going back to the impression that you were given by your siblings about your yes. biological father weren't um, all that far off the mark then? No, I don't think so. No. I don't think so. And I've said to Shirley, the oldest biological sister, you know, she knows everything. I've told her everything. And I said yeah. to her, you know, I don't think I would have got along with him. I, She said he was the boss. She yeah. said he was the boss and what he said went, you know. And I said, I'm just, you know, I've had three daughters myself, very strong girls, um, and I stand up for myself, and so do they. And yeah. I don't think I would have got along with him at all. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a real head-butting type relationship. I think so. I think so. So, But, you know, maybe, you know, like is it nature or nurture? Because maybe the way I am is because I came from such strong parents myself you know that's a really good Um, question too yes yeah is it nature or nurture i don't know i'll never know the answer to that one but yeah i you know i'm not sorry that i never met him because i don't think i would have got along with him so yeah um yeah yeah well that that's me that's my story i'm now 62 now ready to to tell it i you know um you know i feel everybody's got their own story to tell yeah but yeah in in the end of it, I'd just say adopted, but not who I am. Absolutely true. And yep. thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story, Elise. Thank uh, you so much, Mick, for having me. I really appreciated it. No, yep. my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. And that was Elise Costanzo telling her uh, unique adoption story and... What an amazing story that was. Um, And as most adoption stories continue, uh, the nature versus nurture uh, question comes up and that's something we'll never, ever answer. Um, But thank you, Elise, for coming on and telling us your story. Absolutely uh, fascinating. And thanks again. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, Nick. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.